1 Peter 5. We're going to break in partway through verse 5 and read through verse 7. 1 Peter 5, 5, breaking in. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Care here, of course, is anxiety or worry. Casting all your anxiety on God. Casting all your anxiety. Maybe I should just say casting your anxiety. Casting your anxiety on God is part of humbling yourself. Part of the path to true humility involves casting your care on God, casting your anxiety, your worry on Him. We think, I know God's a good God and all that, but you know I've got this situation handled, and when it turns out I don't have this situation handled, it falls back on me to handle it and not God. That's pride, to think that this is me, that I can handle this, So, two notes here. If you're struggling with humility, look at your worry. And if you're struggling with worry, look at your pride. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your care upon him. Those are directly connected. You will not find humility if you are trying to carry your anxieties yourself. Because you think you can do it. Even though you think you can't. The other place where this verse, um, so casting all your care upon him, there's only other there's only one other place in the New Testament where this specific word is used that's uh, translated casting here. In Luke 19.35, we have um, the triumphal entry, and they bring the um, colt to Jesus, and it says, they brought him to Jesus, they cast their garments on the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. So they cast their garments on the colt. That's the only other place where this same word is used from First Peter. Um, this is not like the casting of nets that you find various places in the Gospels. That casting is just a throwing. Um, it's a throwing off the boat. It lands where it lands. This casting is a word that specifically means casting on. It's the idea of throwing something onto something. There is a uh, there's a intentionality about where you're throwing it. So. This is not like casting your cares off the boat, like the fishermen cast their nets. This is you casting your cares on to God. The one true God, God of the Bible. He commands us to let him work for us before commanding us to work for him. God commands us to let him work for us before commanding us to work for him. Matthew 11:28 Come to me all you who are labor, who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
Psalm 55:22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And Isaiah 46, he says, even to your old age, I am he and to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry and save. Isaiah 64, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God beside thee who works for those who wait for him. No other religion that claims a God has a God that works for them. God wants to be a burden bearer. It demonstrates his power. It puts him in a class by himself among the so-called gods of the world. No one has seen God besides thee who works for those who wait for him. So, throw the garments of your anxiety onto him. He wants to carry it. Now, that still sounds fairly philosophical. Um, how? How do we actually do this? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Often we trust God in the abstract. Yes, he's a trustworthy God. Yes, he can save sinners in general. Yes, he will work it out, generally speaking, for my good. But these verses mean lay a specific anxiety on God. Trust him specifically that he cares about that. Believe that he is God. His purposes can't be thwarted. Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things, says Job, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. When the Bible says he cares, it means he will not stand by and let things develop without his influence. It means he will act and he will work. Not always in the way we would. He's God and he sees a thousand connections we don't see. We cast our care upon him because he cares for us. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The author John Piper says, Anxieties are to be cast and not carried. Let God know. Give them to him. Talk to God about it. By prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. Anxieties are meant to be cast and not carried. One of the biggest problems with worry comes from speculation. Speculating on our future is the petri dish of um, anxiety and fear. It's probably one of the reasons God has told us has called us to not walk by um, prediction. 
Speculation is the perfect environment for anxiety and fear to grow. He's called us to walk by faith. So when... Okay, none of us would go to a psychic or a fortune teller or a palm reader or any of those kind of people. But we, we've kind of allowed our own form of fortune telling into the Christian life. Um, and when that happens, weird theological distortion comes after it. Um, we only obey God's will that he's revealed only as far as we've, we've looked ahead and we've surveyed it and we, we've looked at all the predictable outcomes and, uh, and taken a guess at what's the most probable. Then we walk forward in God's will because you know, we've, we've figured out what's likely. We've kind of predicted how it's supposed to go. I read once where someone said, we act like God's will is um, three doors. So um, there's three doors there, and the, the husband predicts, well, the one on the left's going to open. And the wife predicts, well, I think it's the one in the middle that's going to open. And so um, they just wait to discover what God's will is by, well, which door is he eventually going to open? Um, God's will is found in daily obedience, walking by faith, trusting in him, not by forecasting the most favorable outcome. The author Oliver O'Donovan um, gave this explanation why God intentionally hides from us his plans for our future. This is a quote from his book, Self, the World, and Time. If we knew the story of the future hidden in God's foreknowledge, we should be beyond deliberation, beyond action, beyond even caring. The kingdom of God does not come with observation, says Luke 17:20. Even of the Son, through whom God acts in history, it is said that the day and the hour are not revealed to him. The price of agency is to know the future only indirectly, that we may venture on it as an open possibility. The future of prediction, dreary with anxiety or buoyant with hope, has to be held at bay so that we may use this moment of time to do something, however modest, that is worthwhile and responsible, something to endure before the throne of judgment. God has kept the future hidden. Um, He didn't do that just to spite us. He didn't do that just to make us lower than him. He did that for our own good and for his own glory because that gives us every opportunity to use this moment, right now, every moment you come into as an opportunity to do something that's worthwhile and responsible. Because have you ever noticed when you predict how things are, go, you just, are going to go, you just kind of... Um, stop worrying about the now and only start working toward you know that that predicted thing that's going to happen. Now, there's the obvious objection that can be brought up here. Planning doesn't God call for us to plan for the future? And yes, we certainly should plan for the future, but we can be effective. We can be wise in planning for the future without having to fall into always predicting the future. Every 
confident expectation we have about tomorrow is vain in the eyes of a sovereign God. Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And those familiar verses from James 4, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. When I have confident assertions about what tomorrow is going to bring, that's vanity before God. We can plan for the future. We can be wise. We do not have to get into trying to always predict the future. Yes, we can plan, but we are not to presume. We're obligated to walk forward in obedience, no matter what the end may be. I'm trying to decide if I, if it's worth trying to make an illustration that makes a lot of sense to me and would be boring to a lot of people. Um, I'll try this. Here's a basic lesson in programming. If you're programming a, a computer program, I should stand behind the microphone. If you're programming a computer program, one of the things you're always going to run into is ifs. So if you're talking to a programmer and you start talking about logic, you start talking about conditions, um, you might hear them say, that's a lot of ifs. Um, if is a function in programming that is to account for unknowns. It's to help you make decisions as you come to them. And so in this example, you'd say if it's raining. So if you always have if then else, if then else, and you just keep running into that all through programs. So if it's raining, then get an umbrella and leave. Else leave. So if it's not raining, you just leave. You don't need the umbrella. You skip over that. And then you end your if. And then you can have all sorts of, if you look at a program, it's just full of ifs, and you can even have them nested where it's, you know, if status is raining, then get umbrella and leave. And then put another if before your else and say, you know, if umbrella is broken, then yeah, whatever you want to do, you can keep just building it up. But if is something you run into in programming all the time. It's just, it's a, it's an extremely common tool that you use. Well, we run into ifs all the time in life. We go, well, if it rains tomorrow, I can't mow. If it, uh, if this client does this thing, then I'll have to do, um, move this project around to accommodate it. 
there are there's a there's another thing you'll run into in programming it's called go to Go to. What that is, is you may have some um, piece of code somewhere to handle what you're wanting to do. You may have um, some other program that you've written to handle something. So um, in our umbrella case, um, we could have, instead of get umbrella and leave, we could have, if status is raining, then go to closet. And over here in this program over here that's called closet, we have you know, get umbrella, open umbrella, make sure umbrella doesn't have holes, all those things, and then now you have your umbrella. And so rather than put that code there in the middle of that, you have this whole other module over here that um, if it's something you're going to repeat over and over again, you don't write it every time you come to it in your code, you just stick it over here, give it a name. And then when you need to go to it, you say, go to that thing. Last fall, I was working with someone on um, my uh, cynicism and uh, my worry and my anxiety and how it was, um, well, how that sin had, had worked its way into my life. And um, he, he made the comment, when you come to a what if in life, go to God. And I mean, in my head, all of a sudden, you know, it's just, it's code. It's like, okay, so if, go to God. So the if statement in my life needs to just be if, well, hey, we've got something uncertain here, go to God. Just if star, which means anything, in programming star is just anything, it's the wild card. If star, go to God. God would take the ifs of your life, the what if this, what if that, and have them be places of rest, places of seeing him, of knowing his provision and power. But as humans, our intent, our, our, our default state is um, anxiety, assumption. Um, we get anxious about this. I don't know what's happening. And so then we start assuming, well, it's probably going to go this way. And if you're like me, that's it's probably going to go this way. And if you're some people, oh, it's probably going to go this way. Um, I'm in a more dangerous position, but both of us are wrong. It's when there's an if, we go to God. We don't start assuming. We need to be intentional and retrain our default state from assumption to trust. If a... I have a tendency to take the what-ifs and turn them into when. So, what if this just goes all wrong in this relationship over here? Well, that, after a day or two, in my head starts going, now, when this relationship goes to pot... When I've done that, I've used assumption to walk away from truth. Think about this. Sin 
is an attempt to make life work without God. Sin is an attempt to make life work without God. When you run into an if, go to God. Whether your assumptions are negative or positive, your assumptions are you predicting the future, not you resting in God. Turn back to Matthew 6 before we close. Matthew chapter 6. We want to look at a couple verses from before the ones we read earlier. Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. This is kind of breaking in. Jesus was talking about people who would pray to be seen, um, people who would uh, use vain repetition, just empty words, um, thinking that that will make them heard because they're using a lot of words. Jesus says, don't be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven is the phrase I want to look at here. Consider this Consider this phrase, our Father in heaven. The word Father in the Sermon on the Mount has a, a tender connotation, a tender, tender feeling. And so in... The example of the verses we read earlier, we're told not to be anxious about food, drink, clothing. Um, and he says, why? Because your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So the, the implicit point there is, you don't need to fret about the most nitty-gritty things because your, your Father or your Dad in heaven, is he's right there. He knows every financial stress. He is at your side. He's on your side. He knows, so don't be anxious. On the other hand, one chapter back, Matthew 5, verse 34, we're told, don't take an oath by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Don't swear by heaven. You don't have any control there. And so that's that's what my mind goes to when I hear the word in heaven power above our place and understanding. Watch out. Don't treat him lightly. His kingdom really matters. His name really matters. His will really matters. But that phrase, we also have father, tender, warm, caring. He's attentive. He's intimate. We have a personal God. So, in heaven, that that place of power above our place and understanding and he's our father he gives us bread he gives us forgiveness he helps us fight the fight the phrase father in heaven is not an accident he is majestic and merciful isaiah 57:15 says he dwells in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit He's a king and he's a daddy. He's above and he's ready to come close anywhere, anytime you call on him. He has plans for the whole universe, 
And he has a plan, a great and loving and personal plan for your life and every little piece of it. Is that the God you believe in? Then why are you worrying? I'll close with Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand.